Welcome to the Network Marketing Heroes Podcast, hosted by 40-year network marketing veteran, author of best-selling books, The Four-Year Career, and Mach 2 with Your Hair on Fire, and world-renowned speaker, Richard Bliss Brook. When it comes to success in network marketing, who better to learn from than leaders who have actually done it? Listen as Richard interviews top leaders and gives you a behind-the-scenes look at how they did it. You'll get incredible tips and duplicable actions you can do right now to build your own four-year career. Stay tuned after this episode for an exclusive discount code to get 10% off Richard's easy-to-use tools that will help propel your network marketing business to the next level at blissbusiness.com. Welcome, everybody. This is Richard Brooke. Uh, welcome to an, yet another Bliss Business Hero Call. This is Hero Call number 80. So 80 times in the last three years, we have sought out in the network marketing community somebody that has built a four-year career and beyond and done it in an ethical, ethical fashion in a legitimate company with real products and real customers. And so what we do on these hero calls is we have them tell their stories so all the rest of you can learn to believe that whatever you want to accomplish in network marketing is not only possible, but it's probable if you do the right things. So let me start with a disclaimer. The lady we're going to interview tonight is not average. She's, she's not earned average income. People ask me, what does the average person earn in network marketing or in a particular company? My answer is usually nothing. Average people don't really do well in network marketing. It takes above average people of vision, courage, motivation, and people that are willing to learn a new skill. And so the examples that we're going to talk about tonight when I ask this lady some questions about what she did and how she did it are not typical and uh, should be attempted at home, but don't necessarily expect that you're going to get the same results in the short period of time that she got her results because she is, as you'll learn, absolutely spectacular and exceptional. And so here's what we look to impart in these interviews. Not that you can necessarily accomplish what Lisa has accomplished in the short period of time that she's been building her business, but that you can accomplish anything you set out to accomplish. Whatever your goals and dreams are, they're probably not quite as lofty as Lisa's have been. Um, so if you want to earn $1,000 a month or you want to earn $5,000 a month, the purpose of these calls is to help you learn to believe that you can actually do it. Just pick a good company with great products, uh, learn from your upline, model people in your company that have already made it work. You don't need to reinvent the wheel. Just go upline until you find somebody that's earning the kind of money you want to earn and ask them how they did it, and then just follow whatever they did to the degree that you can do it authentically. And maybe you've got to interview a few people until you can like drop into a system that you can do authentically. But that's basically what we do on these calls is give you some examples to tap into, some lessons, and build your belief because at Bliss Business, we believe belief is everything. If you're properly motivated, you're going to figure out how to do it. And belief is, the, is this huge component in motivation. So let me tell you a, bit, a little bit about our guest tonight, then I'll bring her on to say hi and start telling stories. Lisa DeMaio has been involved in her company, Isogenics, now for six years. She was with another company for six years prior, which we'll talk briefly about. But here's a little bit about this lady. She is obviously a millionaire network marketer. She is a mother. She's a single mom. She's an, she's an author. She's a philanthropist. She's a fitness enthusiast. She is a master ontological coach. She's actually the only other person on the planet that I've ever seen <laughs> call herself an ontological coach. <clears throat> so that jumped right out at me. Um, 
you know, she's she's done some extraordinary things. She she came into network marketing from pharmaceutical sales and a leadership coaching business. She already had that before she joined the industry. She rose to the top of her first company within six years, and then she found that she needed a different home, so she joined a different company, which occasionally leaders will do. It's a little dramatic and a little traumatic, but sometimes it has to happen. But true to form with her leadership, she just rose to the top in isogenics again. And here's some of the things that she's done uh, just in the last six years. Um, she has been uh, featured on the cover of Empowering Women magazine. She's been in Prosper magazine. She's been interviewed by Network Marketing Times. She's featured in the flip-flop CEO. She is the author of The Art of Getting What You Want, How to Cultivate Happiness, Health, and the Wealth You Desire, which has a foreword by Jack Canfield, which is pretty special stuff. Lisa is a member of the National Speakers Association, a Master Life Coach, an Ontological and Somatic Coach, and a Master Trainer in Neuro-Linguistic Programming, NLP for those of us that can't say it, and obviously a self-made millionaire. So that's all the lofty stuff that goes in print in front of her, but that's not the stuff I don't think that's going to inspire you. I think her story and the answers to the questions I ask her um, are, is what gonna, what's going to inspire her. I don't know how many people were at the recent Isogenics convention, probably fifteen or 20,000, and there's probably, uh, I don't know, half a million to a million Isogenics distributor and she was just picked as one of the top uh, 10 women uh, in isogenics. And so she's really had an impact on that company. She's obviously had a huge impact on the people that she's attracted to her team, the people she's coached and led. She's had a huge impact on her family. And let's find out how she did it. She's still there, Lisa, after all of that. <laughs> I think I'm tired listening to all this stuff I've done. <laughs> Well, we burned eight minutes. So. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I don't even remember how I did it all. <laughs> you know, I, I got to tell you a funny story. So I was, I was uh, I'm not supposed to tell the stories, but I'll tell a quick story. So I was uh, being introduced uh, about a week ago to speak, and I was having dinner next to the lady who was introducing me. And unfortunately, uh, she had me slotted to speak while people were eating dinner, which is like about the worst possible time anybody could speak. And so I kind of let that pass because I was doing her a favor. And then I'm sitting next to her, and, and uh, it's about time for me to speak. And she's not eating her dinner, but she's studying this piece of paper. And I just had a a, a little piece of inspiration and uh, or intuition, and I asked her, I said, you're not studying my bio, are you? <laughs> Oh, she gosh. Said, she said, yes. She says, I don't know you that well. I said, oh, forget all of that stuff. Just introduce me really quickly. I know you and I both probably despise the long list of accomplishments, that, but I had to get them out. And now let's get to the important stuff. Tell us, Lisa, because mm-hmm. um, you have a really uh, interesting, unusual story about how you first got introduced to network marketing and what you did with us. So that's the question I want to want you to start with is tell us how you first heard about network marketing and what your response to it was and what you did with it. Okay. Well, and I you know, Richard, I don't know if you said and I'm a mom and I think, you know, gosh, I have two teenage girls and a an eleven year old boy and by far that is my greatest accomplishment. And getting through the day, you know, I say I leave the house with three kids and I come home with three kids, it's an amazing day. And, you know, <laughs> that's how I feel every day running in circles with my kids um, nonstop. So for all the parents out there that are juggling a um, quote-unquote stay-at-home business and, and kids, I, I feel ya. Um, gosh, so how I started, it was, uh, you know, a completely backdoor kind of way. I was introduced um, by my mom around the age of 19. My dad had passed um, from lung and brain cancer, and um, we were broke. I mean, just flat 
broke. And it was a traditional, you know, everybody gets a job, you trade time for money, and then, you know, you didn't expect a sickness um, to just take over. And it was three years that he was so sick, and my mom had three jobs. And I just remember the struggle. And I put myself through college. I was the first one in my family to graduate with a four-year degree, and we didn't have any money. And she said, you know, if you want to go to college, you need to pay for it. And I also had to contribute to keep our home at the time. And um, I was working a full-time job and going to college full-time, and it was no joke. And she said her girlfriend, Pam, had called and said, Eleanor, I'd love for you to come to an Amway meeting. And my mom said, do you want to go? And I said, I don't even know what that is, but I'll check it out with you. I had already been involved in personal development. So it it started around the age of 13, 14. I was always intrigued by how some people succeeded and others really didn't and how you can change your mindset. And after my dad had died, I was fortunate enough to recognize it's not normal to wake up always feeling depressed, that this feeling wasn't okay. And I always found myself in the self-help section of the library renting books on personal development. And and I I think I saw my first Tony Robbins interview when I was around 14 years old. So the world was, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, Chad Helmstetter, Zig Ziglar, way back when, when they had cassette tapes, I was listening to this stuff. And um, we went to this Amway meeting. And back in the day, and this is going back in the 80s, a lot of people do that way. You know, you heard it all the time. And um, I, I had no idea what network marketing was. And I really don't remember what the person in front of the room was saying, but I remember how he was speaking. And that's what I walked away. I came home that night and I said to my mom, I don't, I don't know what that whole thing was all about and whatever, but I know that there, there was something about what this guy does to that audience and I want to be that person. And this started at the age of 19. And I went to another meeting. Yeah, I mean, like, how blessed, right, to have that awareness so young. And that's what I love. You know, when I see young people get into this industry, it's like, yes, they get it. They don't have to go through the whole trading time for money and have somebody else dictate your life. And it's just, I just love it. And it's, it's just so cool to see young people get on board. So I bought all the tapes. There was cassette tapes back then, and I listened to these trainers over and over and over and over again, and that's what started my journey, and along the way, when I got bored of, you know, this leader or that person taking the same story, I'd sign up for another company, and I'd go to New York City. I'd find out there was this magazine called The Learning Annex, and I'd find out where the local meetings were. I'd walk in. I I think I had 12 IDs at one time, and I'd ask someone to sponsor me. And I was never really interested in the products. I bought some products. And I'd sit and I'd watch the person in front of the room. And then I became fascinated with the language. That was my first intro to um, neuro-linguistic programming. Somebody had mentioned Tony Robbins. And I said, you know what, I think I'm going to do one of those courses. And I started saving tons and tons of money because I did, the first one I did was Date with Destiny in my 20s. So um, I started taking courses based on what I heard from these trainers and leaders. And it was funny because I never had an interest in doing network marketing, but I wanted to do coaching and I wanted to do life coaching. And way back when you just, you know, it, it wasn't like it is today and everybody calls themselves a coach regardless of any certification or proper training, et cetera. And that was my first intro into this whole subculture that exists out there and being surrounded by um, these individuals who separated themselves from mediocrity or middle class and were world-class thinkers. And that opened the door um, to network marketing. I graduated college. I went on. I got a four-year degree. I, did, I got married. I did everything I was supposed to do. I dotted all the I's. I crossed all the T's, and I got a really good job in pharmaceuticals. And I was trading time for money day in and day out. It was fine when I didn't have children. I was coaching at night. I was coaching on the weekends. By this time, I started in all my different courses, two years in somatic coaching and two years in ontological coaching and traveling all over. I had done Date with Destiny 
got um, trained in neurolinguistic programming, was training, 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 and I was burning the candle up on both ends. I mean, here I was with a full-time pharmaceutical job, a coaching business at night and coaching on the weekends. Now I had a two and a four-year-old. And I remember saying, my, my, I was married at the time, to my ex-husband, um, I can't do this anymore. I, I'm literally going to fall on my face. I live for Sunday. I live for the weekend so I can get a manicure on, on Saturday, food shop, clean the house, like get a stomachache on Sunday night, and do it all over again. I'm like dropping these kids off in daycare when it's dark. I'm picking them up when it's dark. I'm exhausted. I can't do this. And we were playing the game cash flow, Robert Kiyosaki's famous game, Cash Flow Quadrant. We were playing the board game. And I remember at the big game, Richard, I think it was like 300 bucks when we bought it. And I was like, oh my gosh, we're spending so much money on this game and we don't have it. And we bought this game and that game changed my life. I said, you know what? I'm going to do one of those network marketing companies. I'm a leadership coach. I'm a trainer. I've been trained by all these network marketers for years, indirectly trained. I can do that. I believe in people. I see a vision. You know, you started the call and you said, in this industry, if you want to succeed, you can accomplish whatever you believe you can. And I knew that to be a truth that I held inside me. And I knew there was more than trading time for money. I knew there was a way out. I knew there was passive income. It had to be true. All these people had gone before me. One week after playing that game and putting that declaration into the universe that I was going to be a top-level network marketer, somebody handed me a bag of skincare. I signed on to this company. My, my previous company was Arbon International. That's when I was on the cover of Empowering Women magazine. You know, skyrocketed to the top in five months because of all the leadership work I had done. So it was, it was very easy for me to say, you know, I built this in five months. But what people didn't realize, and I made it to a national vice president level in five months, five and a half months, it was about 15 years of hardcore personal development. You know, reading books like yours, a four-year career, and being around people like you, and listening to leaders who had gone before me. And that's the number one, you know, takeaway I want people to, to get from this is it's not when you sign on that your clock starts ticking. Your clock started ticking whenever you made a commitment to be different. If that happened to be the day you signed on, okay, then that's your start, your stopwatch. But for me, the personal development journey had started so many years prior to me getting an ID number. Yeah. So let's, um, let's demystify that a little bit for people. So when you say, Lisa, that you went to the top in five months, people want to know, how did you do that? So having be, being like a leader and having, like I, I trust what people heard that is the magic is you, you did the board game cash flow and that was like the, that's what thumped your bowl. That's just like, that was just kind of the trigger. Hey, what about network marketing? What about a, you know, a passive income, a residual income? And that had, had you spark the idea, I'm going to do this. But then if people, if you all listened carefully, and, you know, if we could rewind and replay it, it would be magical to listen to Lisa's words when she described her vision instantly about, I'm going to be a top network marketer in the profession. I'm going to go do this. No, just what you want to pay attention to, folks, is notice the language and notice the, how emphatic it is. Notice the clarity. Notice the confidence. Now, there's, there's no, I'm going to try. There's no, I'm going to see how well I can do at it. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to call my friends and see if anybody wants to do it with me. None of that stuff. What, what's there is this really potent, powerful clarity of vision and belief. Now, my question, Lisa, is 
How did you, I get that you, that was created over 15 years worth of when you decide to do something, you know how you need to organize every cell in your body to make you go do it and do it powerfully. But what did you actually do in that five months that created so many people and so much volume? Like, walk us through the basics. Who did you call? And what did you say to them? And what was their response? Oh, gosh. So what you just said, um, gosh, it gave me chills because it was always my belief. So belief comes first. Um, I very much follow and I train on this all the time, be, do, have. It's who we're being first that is the driving force behind any action, what we do. So the first thing that I did was I had a check-in with myself around my declarations, um, I talk about this in my book, the assessments I had about myself and realized any li limiting beliefs that I carried could not be a part of the baggage that I was going to go into network marketing with. It just they couldn't exist because people weren't buying my product. They were buying me. And it's everybody, every one of you listening to this call has something unique about you, loving, trusting, powerful, compassionate, forgiving. So if I said to you, tell me your strength, you know, I need a good friend to listen to. What can I count on you for? There's something different about you that's different about another person. You have to speak from that place of where we find our confidence. And that was the first thing I was able to tap into. I'm determined. Like, I am one of the most determined people I know. <laughs> if I get something in my head, I'm going to figure out how to do it. And I said that to people. I put that out there. You know, Richard, I don't know much about the product. I hardly understand the compensation plan. But I am absolutely determined to make this work and quit my day job. And that immediately had people listen to me. You know, it was that kind. So you have to speak to whatever truth. I, I couldn't, I didn't have two seconds to learn the comp plan and learn every ingredient. And that's not what people were interested in. And with that sense of being, I went out into the world and I did the do. I made a 100-person written out, handwritten list that I kept on me at all times. I kept in those days, I kept five curiosity folders. We don't do that anymore. I do everything now on social media. But I kept five curiosity folders in my car at all times and would not go home until I had five conversations with new people because as I sponsored people and they came off my original list, I needed to always be adding new names on my list. So, okay, stop there, Lisa, because you know, mm -hmm. we could do about two or three hours on what you just said. <laughs> That's really basic gold, but I know you probably have experienced this as I have. We could interview 100 network marketing distributors that have been doing the business for a year or two, and we could ask them, how many people are on your names list? And we'd get a blank stare. Or, or they might say, oh, I had a names list when I first started, but now I just call people you know, when I think about it. And I've already called everybody I know, or I've already contacted everyone I know. So would you speak to a couple of golden points here? Number one, mm -hmm. these are questions. Why is it so important to have a lot? So in your case, it was 100, but, you know, maybe it's 200, maybe it's 300. But why is it so important to have a lot of names on a list? Why is it important to have that list with you all the time? And speak to us about the psychology of leaving the house with five curiosity folders, which mm -hmm. might be five beans in your left pocket and, or five pennies in your left pocket, and the idea is to get them into your right pocket by the end of the day by talking to five people. Tell us mm -hmm. like the psychology of the five curiosity folders. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, great, great questions as always. Um, so. The whole thing with a list was to create an abundant mindset. And I will tell you when I realized how important, like vitally important that list was. 
many of you know um, I'm, in, I'm currently in Isagenics. I left one company and I joined another company, which it was one of the hardest decisions. I mean, anybody as a top leader in the industry, it's, it's a very, very difficult decision. And when I came over from one company to another company, I had no choice but to win. There wasn't an option. I was going through a divorce. I had resigned my income from my, my former company and was starting at zero income. So I had three children. Um, we just broke up our marriage, and now I had to make it work here. And that list was my backbone. When I looked at that list and people were saying, you know, oh, you'll never do it again, and it will never work two times, and, you know, those no's, they're like blows to the head. I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather at that point in time. It was such a critical and vulnerable moment in, in the big picture, right, that moment in time for me. And I would pull out that list, and at that time it was over 360 names on that list. And when people would say, you're never going to do it again, you know, you should have stayed where you are and it doesn't work like that and all the stuff you hear or people are like, no, Lisa, you know, we tried it once before and that stuff doesn't work and go do your little thing and <laughs> I would have to sit down. Yeah, I just posted because I just did my second um, investment property and I just posted, you know, my first one getting knocked down and I said, you know, that's from the little thing I do <laughs> that I'm right. able to invest in all this real estate. But um, that list was my lifeline. I took it out, and, I, and every time I felt that blow, and it, the blow goes to your heart, right? It's like, is this ever going to work? And then it creeps up into your head and all this self-doubt, and you can't sponsor anyone from that mindset. And it's so difficult to, to work to get it back in that feeling of, yes, I can, and I'm determined, and remember who you are. So that constant struggle I needed that list, and it was papers. It wasn't typed up. It wasn't in an Excel spreadsheet. It was names on papers written out all in front of me. And I would say there's so many more people. There are so many more people who think like I do. I will find those people who think like I do. And that, that writing of the list is to create a mindset that reminds you, an abundant mindset, there are always more people that think like we do. There is always somebody on their knees praying for an answer. And if you stop because someone else said it's never going to work or that little, you know, that little shake thing, that's what they just say to me, your, your little shake thing is not going to work or whatever it was, I took out that list and I knew I was going to find people just like me. And that's the importance of a list. It is creating an abundant mindset. The five folders. Yeah. Um, I always talk about the ping pong match in prospecting. So if I talk to five new people every day, and five was my number. It was just my, my number. Um, now my number is three. It's more manageable for me with the size of my team. Um, five new people. And, and, and I did five people every day, seven days a week. On a day that was off, maybe I got two people. You know, some days it was one, some days it was six. But it was always my intention to speak to five people. And if I did that and I had those conversations going on, now I came from a very different place, especially when I moved over to my, my company now, Isagenix, it was I had to do it. I didn't have a choice. So I think both times it was that driving force of I have to do this. It has to work. I don't like my current situation. It's a numbers game. No matter what people tell you about this industry, if you talk to enough people and your pipeline is full and then you actually go back 8 to 16 times to each one of those people in an exchange, you will sponsor people, at least two people every week. And I think that's where people really fall short. They think, you know, we get so caught up in the language. We, the vernacular becomes so familiar and second nature that we all talk in our company's lingo. It doesn't work. You've got to remember what it was like to be brand new. When you say go out and sponsor two people, you may have to talk to 25 people to get two product users. To get to business builders, you may need to talk to 50 people 
to find those two business builders. And it doesn't happen like, you know, hey, Richard, want to try my product and join my business? It is an exchange, <laughs> right? Wouldn't it be so easy? It's an exchange that happens 8 to 12 times before somebody says yes. And now, thank you to social media, it's 8 to 16 exposures. So typically, somebody's being your voyeur, and they're checking out your Facebook page, and they're kind of knowing what you do, and they checked it out two or three times, maybe four times. Then you pick up the phone. Then you send some information about your company. Then you have another conversation. Then maybe you go meet that person. Then you get them on a three-way call with your upline. This exchange typically happens 8 to 16 times before somebody is a solid yes. And where most people fail in this is they call somebody, the person calls them back, they call again, and then they say, oh, I don't want to bother that person. And they never get to that 8 to 16 times in the exchange. And people are never a no. It's, no, I don't know enough. So if you quit before you satisfy their need and their want, you're going to think the industry doesn't work when in fact it's just you're not working it long enough and, and you're not being thorough in your constant follow-up to see what their needs are so you can satisfy that person's want and desire with your product compensation plan or company. Yeah, brilliant stuff. So uh, tell us a couple of stories. Um, you picked the stories. You know, uh, we don't like hide anything on these calls. I, I really am committed to everything being transparent and people just dealing with the truth. So the truth is your build in Arbonne was probably different than your build in Isogenics. I mean, I'm not sure, but you could speak to that. Um, so maybe the stories that you created in Isogenics are different than the stories you created in Arbonne. So I'll let you pick the stories, but what I'm interested in is tell these people some stories about someone you called and said something like, I don't know much about this product, I don't know anything about the compensation plan, but I'm going to make this work, and I'm going to get out of my job, and I'm going to get freedom. Mm. Tell us about somebody that that inspired to follow you, and what have they built Oh, it is my favorite stuff to talk about. <laughs> uh, and, and for all of you listening, I didn't know what any of these questions were going to be. So that's an exciting one. Um, it's interesting, um, interestingly enough, my very first two people that I sponsored in the industry. Um, so I got my, my first, this is going back to my former company. They are still with me now. Um, we, went, we were in my, our former company together in Arbonne. And... One girl I had met, her name is Joyce Schoenholz. Uh, I met her in a leadership development course, and she just had twins. And I said, you need to come to my house. Like you, and she lived about, she lived about three hours away at the time. I said, you need to come to my house. She said, I can't come to your house. I have the babies. I said, no, you need to bring the babies, and you need to get to my house. I have something that's going to change our lives forever, forever. You need to be here. That was the conversation with her. She didn't even know what she was coming to. The second conversation, I was in a jazzercise class, and my daughter, Victoria, would not sit still in the nursery, and I was trying to do this exercise class. And this woman was in front of the room with the biggest smile on her face. And I just, you know, my, my daughter, Victoria, once said, she held this little girl's hand, and she said, Mom, the second I held Alana's hand, I knew I just loved her. That's how I felt about this woman, Dee Gunderson, in front of the room. She was teaching this class. I had no idea what I was doing. Everybody went to the left. I went to the right. It was one of those, you know, those moments. And I had a crying baby that wouldn't stay in the nursery. And I, I went up to her after class, and she said, don't worry. She can sit in the back of the room. Don't worry. I won't say anything. And my daughter, Victoria, stayed in the room watching me try to get through this class. And I went up to her, and I was having my very first meeting that night, and I said, you don't know me, but you have, like, the best smile, and your energy is amazing, and I'm having this meeting at my house, and 
you know, it's about creating extra income. I don't remember what I said. It was how I said it. And you need to come to my house tonight. And she has these, you know, big, beautiful eyes. And she was staring back at me. And she said, um, I can't believe you're saying this. My husband told me today I need to get a real job. And I said, no, you have to come to my house. That night I was having my very first meeting. I called every person who said they were coming because they all started to drop out. I can't make it. The baby won't stop crying. My husband's not home yet. I got back on the phone, and I re-enrolled them in the conversation of coming. And Dee was one of them, and she said, um, I can't do it, and I didn't make dinner. And I said, Dee, I don't have a front stoop. There are wooden planks. It's mud. It's two inches of mud. It hasn't stopped raining. I have a house full of people coming. I cleaned my house. I got a babysitter. If everybody said no to me, I'd be sitting here by myself. I don't care about the planks you have to walk over. Like, I've worked so hard for this. You need to come. You told me you were coming. You can't do this to me. And, and I need you to pick up some ice. I had everybody bring nice, um, ice and everybody bring napkins, and they came with ice and napkins. And that was my first meeting. And Joy and Dee went home that night, and at 4 a.m., I wrote a letter that I read three years later on stage. And the letter basically said, I've done years of personal development. I have worked so hard. I have kids in daycare. I struggle month after month to make ends meet. I'm going to be on this stage. I'm going to be one of those people that make millions of dollars, and I will be on this stage. And I had my daughter's princess big diamond ring on my finger at 4 a.m. when I wrote this because I saw the vision. I saw all of it. And I'm going to read this letter, and you guys are going to be there with me. You're going to do this with me. I see you both doing this with me. And I wrote this letter to them, and I sent it. They left my form. They left Arbonne when I left Arbonne. They've been my, my pillars the entire time. They were both, and my brother Stephen, my first millionaires. And, um, you know, I, I think of Dee, who just put her daughter through Harvard, and, you know, she said, we were so broke. My husband just lost his job, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And this woman came up to me in a gym and telling me how she's going to help me and save my life. And she tells this story, and um, she was just recognized as a millionaire in our industry. And um, Joy, a single mom with these two beautiful girls who are now like my little angels, and we travel together. Um, and Ice, a millionaire, and, and my brother Steve, who – we always just like, I can't work in a cubicle anymore, in a, in a cubicle in the sky, trading time for money, taking a train in and out of the city, selling insurance when I'm a musician. I want to be a musician. I don't want to be an insurance salesman. I have to do something else. And um, to watch the three of them blossom the way that they have, have blossomed and to see the good that they're doing in the world with the money they have now and, and the hearts that they're touching and the, what they're able to evoke in other people and the belief and that, you know, the world is a desperate place right now. It, it's just desperate for transformation. And this goes way beyond the money. But I will tell you, the world cannot survive on poor people. We need to help the people in Puerto Rico and in Mexico and the devastated families in Las Vegas. And with what's going on in our world, if we were all just middle class and mediocre, there's nothing to give back. It's like, Richard, I think of it as being stingy, and I talk about it all the time. If you have enough for you and yours, good for you, what are you doing in this world? Because we need people. We need people to dig into their pockets. We need people who have the time freedom to go and volunteer and give back. We need people who are bold and ready to stand in the face of adversity and say, yes, I will be the first person to be the change. And I think what, what network marketing does is this subculture of, of co minds, of, of universal thinking, and we kind of find each other. But you can't give up on finding that person seven times in the exchange. You have to follow through that eight to 16 times. You have to have your names written down on the list so when the first five people don't return your phone call, 
you go to the next group of people and you keep searching and finding and, and digging until you have this massive team of like-minded in, individuals who are raising consciousness, who are doing good in the world, who are volunteering, who have time freedom, who are teaching their kids what it means to have an entrepreneurial spirit and to think out of the box. And, I, and I'll tell you something, because it's, oh, I was, I was hot last year about this. I posted on Facebook. I was like, you, I couldn't simmer down. My daughter had a project at school about different businesses. And she said, well, I'm going to be a network marketer. And the teacher wrote back and said, that's not a real job. Please pick a career. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that's like sticking yeah. your uh, hand in a porcupine's nest. <laughs> I wasn't too smart. <laughs> so, Lisa, um, believe it or not, we're running out of time. And... I could ask you a hundred questions. Um, so a couple things I want to point out to the listening audience, and I'll just be brief about these, and then I want to ask you another question, is just, I want you all to notice um, the brilliant pitch lines that Lisa used to enroll her first millionaires. Um, and I want you to notice the line that the lady um, – I think it was a friend of your mom's said to you to get you to go to the first Amway meeting. I think that line was, uh, you have to come to this meeting. And uh, one of your lines is, I would really love it if you would come to my meeting. And then one of your power line, like you could probably teach a whole seminar just using this line, is you've got to come to my house. You've got to come mm -hmm. to my house. You've got to come to my house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you said it. I just want to make sure everybody heard it. It does not matter what you say. It matters who you are being when you say it, or in simpler terms, how you say it. And, you know, here's an example of a survey we could do. We could, we could go to someplace like GoPro, 20,000 people there. We could say, everybody in the room, stand up if you make $10,000 a month or more. And, I don't know, maybe 1,000 people would stand up and we could ask them, all right, I want you to remember back what exactly did your sponsor say to you that had you be interested in taking a look? Mm -hmm. And we could have those 1,000 people write those lines down on a piece of paper. And then if we had time, we could have them you know, share those lines. And here's what we would find about those brilliant pitches that got these $10,000 a month earners into the business, those brilliant pitches probably would not, like 95% of them, would not bear any resemblance at all to what people teach about what to say. And you would find that most of those lines were things like, you've got to check this out, come to my house, come to the meeting, you know, something like that, which none of us would teach people to say because it's not very effective languaging if you want to uh, get somebody's interest or enroll them. But the point is that it is so much more important, like, how, like your internal conversation. And, folks, I just want you to just see the glaring difference between most people who would speak like, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if it will work. I'm going to see if my friends want to do this. I'm going to give it 90 days, you know, all this kind of stuff. And then Lisa, listen to how Lisa talked to herself, the declarations she made, the letters she wrote. This is the difference between a one percenter and a 99 percenter. And yet all of us can learn how to do it. All of us can shift how we talk to ourselves, how we create the internal game plan. It can either be – you know, we're going to charge the hill and we're going to succeed, or it can be full of contingencies. And 99% of us, when we go to do something extraordinary, the whole game plan is full of contingencies. Mm. You know, I'm going to try it. I'm going to see how it works as long as I get some people. As long as the company, you know, does everything perfect, then, you know, I'll keep going. And just, I just want you to notice how Lisa drew a line in the sand internally 
and gave herself no option other to succeed, and that's how she spoke to her prospects, and that's what inspired them. And so, Lisa, my question now, because I need to pull all this together for people, people need to understand, they need to quantify, what have you built? And, and, and I want you to answer this in terms of geometric progression. So in the first four years of, you know, you can pick Arbonne or you can pick Isogenics. In the first four years, how many people did you personally enroll? Not customers, but people that you offered the income opportunity and took you up on it. How many did you personally enroll? And I know Isogenics is a binary, so that's not a fair question. So, you know, package it however it makes sense because mm-hmm. what's important to people is how many did you enroll, no matter where they ended up. And now six years later, how many people do you have on your team? I want mm-hmm. people to understand what happens virally, what happens geometric progressions, what happens 41664, 256, 1064, 496, 16,000. Does that really happen? Yeah, it really does. <laughs> um, well, I love the binary. I mean, I'm a huge, massive fan of the binary because it's um, – allowed me to work wherever people were working, right? So in my first year, um, in my first 90 days in Isogenics, I personally enrolled 31 people in my first 90 days. Um, Yeah, you know, I hear people enroll 30 people in a month. But for me, that was, it was a handful because I really was, you know, spending hours with people on the phone to you know, I wanted to know their why and, and, you know, really asking questions and having them, Here, here's something I want to say about that too. Um, when I ask people questions, it's not for me to know any answers. I really need to know. There's so many people I can't even remember half the time. It's for them to speak their own truth and often yep. for the first time. So there, it's getting them to stand in a declaration. Um, my first 90 days in Isogenics, I personally enrolled 90, uh, 31 people. In my first year, I enrolled 60. So you could see how I was working in like that leadership development. I was, I was really working with my team. In my second year, I only personally sponsored 27 people, but I had a massive team growing. In my third year, personally enrolled 36. My fourth year, 47. Over 222 personally enrolled, and I now have a downline of over 70,000 people worldwide. <laughs> <laughs> and I make over seven figures. <laughs> yes, yeah, of course you do. And it's, and it's not difficult. <laughs> and you know, I know some people are incredible at sponsoring. And they're amazing at it. And, you know, and, and Richard, this is the one point that my team will say, don't say it. It will drive her crazy. When we're on a Zoom and I have 500 leaders on a Zoom and we're talking and they say, you know, and I do a Q&A. And they'll say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I sponsor all these people, but no one wants to do the business. And I'm like, that's what's wrong right there. You need to celebrate every single success that you have. You know, in, in, in isogenics, there's a cycle. We say celebrate every cycle. Every time you, you create a dollar, you, you celebrate that. Every time you enroll someone, you've done your job. Celebrate that. And as soon as you start owning it, it will come. So, you know, I didn't um, – I'm not a sponsor monster. I'm a leadership coach. I mean, that's what I do, and that's my thing. And um, I work with people, and I really – I'm the person that can say I've poured years into people and they've gone. They've left. You know, people have left my company and joined other companies. People have left and gotten careers and, um, you, you know, whatever. But I really do focus on, on really getting to know each person individually. I don't chase them. If they don't return my phone calls, if they don't return text messages, if they don't, re- if they don't come to meetings, if they don't get on Zoom, it's not their season. It's not their, their moment in time. So I always run with the people who are working, not necessarily with all the people I like, because that's a big pitfall in network marketing. 
we join with a bunch of our friends and we chit chat all day long and because they have an ID number and I have an ID number, we think that's working. I'm very much aware of who I need to work with and when. And I think that's the key point, who I need to work with and when. I may give you all my attention now through January and then January you kind of fade off and go do your thing and then there's somebody else I'm working with who's ready in January. And that's, I've always had my hand on who to work with and when. And that changes constantly in, in, in our business. Yeah. So, uh, well, you may not consider yourself a sponsoring maniac, but those numbers are highly, highly respectable. I, I, in my experience, Lisa, I, I imagine yours is similar, that if somebody will personally enroll somewhere between 80 and 100 people their first two or three years in the business, and they enroll them with the idea of building a business, not just as customers, they're, 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 I mean, 95% of the people that would do that or more, they're going to find two or three or four people that are inspired like they are, and they're going to go build a business. And, you know, four or five years later, they're going to have a, a fantastic multi-million dollar business and residual income and so if people the people that succeed in network marketing are the ones that come to grips with we are professional recruiters and that's not a uh, a meaningless soulless job like when you do it right you like you said invest yourself in the people that you attract and you go deep with them and you partner with them and you give them everything you have and sometimes that works out and sometimes it's a huge disappointment mm -hmm. and that's the game and anything less than that just does not produce this doesn't produce the geometric growth last couple of questions what is the biggest mistake this might have been a one-time blunder it might have been a bad habit. It might have cost you millions. Might not have cost you any money at all. Maybe it cost you health. Maybe it cost you relationship. Maybe it cost you integrity. What's the biggest mistake you've made in your network marketing business? This is a personal one for me. <laughs> um, you know, there's no right company. There is a right company for you. And, you know, one's not better than another. But there is one that's better for me than something else. And I knew a lot about the industry. I didn't know a lot about the different companies. And I think I stayed too long in, in a place where it wasn't the right home for me. The industry is. And I'm a diehard network marketer. It's what I do. I stayed too long in a, in a company that wasn't the right place for me. And my learning in that, Richard, all the stuff I teach and all the stuff that I taught about, you know, look in the mirror and you need to answer to yourself and you need to get that strength and pull it up. And um, when I was struggling with leaving one company and joining another, I was faced with that truth day in and day out. Am I strong enough to really do this? And, oh, I'm sure it cost me millions, without a doubt, because, you know, when you find that right place, and look, I, I did the same thing in a marriage. It just, it was like a beautiful lie. And, and I felt like I was living this beautiful lie at this one point in my life where everybody thought I was so happy, and I felt like I was dying inside. I wasn't in the right company for me, and I wasn't in the right relationship for me. And to decide to leave both simultaneously. I mean, I think people thought I was losing my mind altogether um, and start over. I, I, stayed, I stayed in my former company longer than I should have, probably two years longer than I should have. And um, I forgot all the stuff I was teaching. And I, you know, I would listen to my team get up in front of the room and, and talk about you know, how you do, using my words and all the stuff I taught them and said, you know, I need to own that and playful out. And I would say, um, you know, when, it, when I, it took, it was a very, very hard lesson. It, um, 
I wasn't comfortable there anymore. I just, it wasn't for me. It wasn't the, the product that I wanted to be talking about. It wasn't right for me. And my friend was dying of pancreatic cancer. And I went to see her in the hospital. And I was the only one that was there day in and day out during the day because most people had day jobs. And it was the very end, stage four, pancreatic cancer. And I was in New York City, St. Vincent's Hospital, jam-packed Wall Street, people everywhere the week of Christmas. And I remember looking out the window and she was in and out of a coma. And I was in my former company, definitely stayed longer than I should have. And I remember thinking to myself, how stingy can you be, Lisa? This woman is dying alone right now. There were people that loved her, but they had jobs, people around her, but they weren't there at that time because they were working. And you had the ability to go out and change lives and bring people home. And people don't need to die alone if more and more people are doing what you do. Get off your butt. Go find a company where you can believe and sponsor again. You need to make this move. And it took that for me to have the courage to walk away from something that was amazing. Like I was, I, I was amazing in my former company, but it wasn't the right fit. And to walk away from everything with that kind of heaviness in my heart and knowing in the right place I will thrive, I will shine, I will sponsor, I will recruit, I will travel, and um, that was a really tough lesson in, in, in my career. Got it. Um, so we have about three minutes, and here's the last question. Um, you have about three minutes, and you are speaking to potentially thousands, perhaps tens of thousands. There's live people right now. There's people, there's way more people that listen to this podcast post the live interview. Um, so we've been doing this three years and people are listening to interviews we did three years ago. People will be listening to this interview, Lisa, three years from now. I expect they'll be listening to it 13 years from now. And the people that listen to these interviews are not people like you for the most part. They are people that really, really want this to work. And they're not sure what's missing. The desire is not missing. Probably work ethic is not missing. They're, they're working or they're willing to work. Maybe they're even talking to people. But, you know, it just hasn't all fallen into place for them. And, of course, they may be thinking it's outside, like it's out there, Maybe it's the company, maybe it's the product, maybe it's the economy, and we know it's in there. So you have now two and a half minutes to speak to people, and I want you to like consider this as the context for what you say to them. The context is that this is the last message they're ever going to hear that might inspire them to shift to drop in, to start firing on all 16 cylinders, to just bring all their mojo together. They don't get to listen to another inspirational message ever. They only get yours in the two and a half minutes that you have to talk to them. What would you say to them if you're the last person they're ever going to hear from make it or break it for them to go make it happen in their business? Um, so The New Earth, Eckhart Tolle, one of my favorite, favorite books, talks about the soul body versus the egoic body. And our soul body is this loving, generous being. It's, we're born as these loving creatures, right? All we want to do is be picked up and cuddled and fed and nurtured. And our only real fear that we're born with is fear of falling and loud noises. That's it. And we accumulate all these fears as we go on in life. And the further we get away from infancy, 
the more masks we start to, to put on and we start to learn to deal with hardship and, and all the disappointment and all this stuff. And this ego, we become this ego, we become like a version of who we are at the core starts to take over. And that ego is all these below-the-line emotions. You're not good enough. You're never going to be good enough. It's anger. It's resentment. It's fear. It's all these emotions that keep us stuck in our current circumstance. And look at your circumstance. And, you know, some people will say, well, it's enough for me. Like, my life isn't bad. There's a lot of people with beautiful lives out there. But can it go beyond what you currently have? And there's a talk with the soul body and the egoic body that has to take place. Are you truly, and if you go back to that person that before all this stuff happened in life, are you truly being all that you could be? Could, you know, J.B. Shaw's quote, I want to be thoroughly used up when I die for the harder I work, the more I live. Life is not a brief candle to me, but a torch which I have got hold of and will burn brightly and pass to future generations. And that's how I feel about my life. I just feel that in my life. If I don't go out there and make a stand and live out of that soul body, trusting, loving, open, forgiving, empowered, compassionate, I can't complain about my world. And there's a lot to be complaining about in our universe right now, a lot. And unless I'm fully embracing and starting with me first, I have no right whatsoever to talk about everything else that's wrong. And there has to be, there has to be a point in life where we can sit down and take ownership of all that we can be and all that we're choosing not to be because the ego is still gripping us. And if we go out, and we play full out, you will be responsible, personally responsible for not only changing your life and your family's life, but other lives around you. And by me being bold enough and brave enough and making the move not only the first time to do this, but to do it again and do it well the second time, when I look at what Joy's creating in the world, she just started her animal sanctuary, and I look at my brother going to Guatemala and visiting countries and, and serving children and building orphanages and doing what he does in the world, and Dee's daughter just graduated Harvard University, it's a massive contribution in the world when we come from our soul and we play full out, full on. Beautiful, Lisa. Well, folks, you got another <laughs> heavy-duty dose of you can do this and it's worth it. I know one of the things we could have talked about tonight that's prevalent for all of us is, folks, you got to get your head around the idea that the first couple of years in this business, um, you just don't get paid what you think you ought to get paid to stay motivated to do it. But then for the rest of your life, if you do the work, you might get more paid more than you deserve to get paid. <clears throat> it might be unbelievable how much you get paid for the rest of your life. Mm. It's kind of like doubling that penny every day for 30 days. At the end of 30 days, it's worth over $5 million. And, of course, that is really exciting. But what separates the women from the girls and the men from the boys in network marketing is at day 15, that penny's only worth 178 bucks. And so people look at it after 15 days of doubling, and they say, I don't know if I believe. So, Lisa, you are a real inspiration and a great teacher of belief, a great teacher of philosophy and being. Um, thank you so much for contributing your time to these people. Before you sign off, um, tell us where can we get your book for those of you that want to read more about your life and your philosophies and a last word if you have it. Oh, thank you. And um, my book, The Art of Getting What You Want, is, is on Amazon and people can go on Amazon and, and purchase the book. And it's best to follow me on Facebook and I'll post 
all my coaching information and, and you know, just whatever I, all my inspiration is out there every day. And um, gosh, gosh, you know, Richard, I just want to say thank you for doing what you do and dedicating your life to serving others and giving us a platform, the people who have gone through it and walked through the quicksand and, and made it, um, giving us a platform to inspire others. And, um, yeah, you guys can find me on social media. It's, it's Lisa Lavodi DeMeo. And, um, Richard, I just want to thank you for all that you do. And I met Richard, you know, saw Richard at um, Eric Worre's event when I spoke the top 25 women in network marketing. And it was the only time I have ever trained on stage and I had a fever and I never got to go over and give you a big hug. So I'm giving you a, a virtual hug right now. Thank you so much for having me tonight. You're welcome, Lisa. We will uh, hug sometime in the future, I'm sure. Thank you all for joining us tonight. We'll see you in two weeks, next uh, two weeks on a Wednesday night for the Hero Call number 81. Have a super productive, massive action weekend. Good night. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Richard Bliss Brooks Network Marketing Heroes Podcast. If you are inspired and are ready to create your own success story, then it is time to take advantage of some of the top network marketing tools available. Pick up the top recruiting tool that has prospects saying, yes, the four-year career and the four-year career for women. Get your mindset right. Without a clear vision, success is lost. Check out the best-selling book on vision, Mach 2 with your hair on fire. Learn to think like a successful person with this step-by-step -step guide on how to break through your self-imposed limitations. Mach 2 Vision Training is a 90-minute four-part video training where you get Richard to walk you through crafting your vision. It's a must for anyone looking to step outside the box and hit the ground running. For 10% off your order, use the discount code HERO at checkout. If you're serious about building your business, make sure to subscribe to Richard's blog for all the latest tools and articles. This success story is not typical. It is meant to inspire you and show you what's possible. It is not what you should expect to accomplish. Your income will depend entirely on you, your commitment, your work ethic, your leadership, and your ability to acquire customers and inspire sales leaders to join your team. Most people who start off intending to build a sales team do not maintain their motivation to continue. 